Hey guys, Happy New Year.、Uh, Zach and I are really excited to announce a tentative agreement with Nate and Andrew from the Thinking Poker podcast to do another live event with them、uh, on the East Coast late this March. We want to know where you guys would like to have that event, so we're including a link to a Twitter poll in the show notes. And that Twitter poll、uh, it has a couple of East Coast cities. Uh, so if you want to check that out and let us know what city you'd prefer to have the event in,、uh, we'd really appreciate it. Also, we have a new contributor, Zach,、uh, and he has a new article about why you should prop bet that's available at our blog,、uh, and you can link to through the show notes. All right, guys, thanks and enjoy the episode. Hello, Jack. Hello, Zach. How you doing? I'm doing great. I've heard you've been dying to talk through a hand with me. I'm sorry I haven't been able to. Talk with you about this yet? I'm sure it's been killing you on the inside. Yeah, it has. I mean, we've had so many awesome guests on lately that、uh, we haven't had much of a chance to do hands of our own.、Uh, but I've got a hand from back when we were at the MGM that I just think it's really interesting, and I wanted to share it with you. Okay, well, let's hear it. Okay, so there's a bit of a setup. I'm sitting at a table at which I have a sort of interesting image. I've got the table covered, sitting with about twenty-eight hundred. This is a two-five game with a one thousand cap, and so I'll just give you first my image, and then my I'll give you my history with some of the villains in the hand. So people who've been sitting with me for a while have seen me get into a couple of very lucky spots. One spot where I floated the turn. Uh, with a gut shot against a player who I thought had a very weak range, and I was planning on bluffing the river when check two. He actually shoved for a huge overbet on the river after I binked my、uh, straight draw, and so I called off and just looked like、uh, I think to the table like someone who was just chasing a draw with terrible odds.、Uh, That's just hands poker for you, everyone. Yeah, <laughs> so that was awesome. <laughs> Some and then something else good happened. I I can't even remember. Uh, but people just thought I was kind of like a call off monkey, and but I—that's kind I of an been, awesome image to have. Just in that, like you're just like not really gonna have to worry at all about getting bluffed. Not that you normally have to worry that much about it, but well, here's an <laughs> here's an interesting. Yeah, you would think. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's two or there's three villains in the hand that I think I have to sort of, you know, give my read slash history for. Uh, the main villain in the hand. Uh, or who ends up becoming the main villain in the hand, is a player who plays way too loose preflop.、Uh, he's sort of, I would say, around forty, and he he、oh, seems to have forty percent VPIP or forty age. No, no, he seems about to be about forty years old. Okay, his VPIP is probably around forty, but his actual hands sometimes can like skew towards you know the bottom twenty five percent of hands, so. I'm not sure exactly what his methods are. I have, I had seen him limp, re-raise、uh, premium hands. Anyways, there was one particular hand that was relevant with this villain.、Uh, relevant not only because he did it to me and we had this history between us, but I had seen him do this kind of thing in other situations.、Uh, basically, my read on this villain is that when he was value betting, he would bet sort of smaller bets that he thought would get called. And when he was bluffing, he would make these huge bets,、uh, often over bets, often all-in bets. The most recent time I had seen this behavior, and I had seen it probably three or four times within 
you know, about a six hour session to this point. There was, there was a really funny hand where I had jacks. I opened on the button after over his limp and he three bet me to a hundred, which, you know, I thought was very strong, but I definitely had uh, direct odds to set mine. And I also had jacks, which is a very strong hand. Uh, so I called flop was ace, jack, blank, two diamonds, flop check through. Uh, I checked back cause I feel like he does have aces sometimes and I'm not getting a ton of value from worse. And I, I don't see him checking ace king that often. Turn was another blank. He checked to me. I bet, uh, I think 200 into like, or sorry, no, I bet about 150 into like 220. Uh, and he shoved for like 650. And I felt this could be aces, but based on my read of like his bet sizing, I thought it was a clear call. And I called, and he had kings. Uh, and he actually he actually binked a king on the river, which was kind of gross. But yeah, so that's that's the one villain. Another villain in this hand, not a bad main actually, villain for what it's worth. I'd I'd like to have someone who plays kings that way as my main villain. <laughs> The villain I was really targeting in this hand was actually a guy who I don't think had very much opinion on me. I had been very quiet for the last hour pre-flop, which factors into how I played the hand. But this villain was raising strong hands and limping a ton of hands pre-flop and getting to a lot of flops. And sometimes when he played passively, he tended to always give up by the river. And when he had something, he would play aggressively so he was just a guy who was willing to put in a lot of money passively and then fold at some point <laughs> uh okay and would play aggressively with good hands uh, with his strongest hands so definitely like a very profitable person to isolate and then the less relevant villain was a younger guy who was seemed like a professional but he'd been drinking a little bit and i I had recently changed seats uh, to be on the direct lefts of the two villains I described before, but I had been on this player's direct left, and I had been three betting. I had three bet him a couple times, uh, both light and not light, and he had folded. He also had a very deep stack and seemed pretty reluctant to get into pots with me. Uh, I think he had a lot more respect for my play than the rest of the table. Okay, so that sort of sets us up for this hand. Let's do it. So I'm in the big blind uh, with ace-five offsuit. Under the gun, limps with a $25 chip. And then under the gun plus one, who is the potentially professional villain I was describing, quickly puts in five red chips. So I was pretty sure that he was raising, because uh, this would be his standard raise size. Mm-hmm. But I thought there was also a very... There was a possibility that he thought he was calling a raise to 25 based on how quickly he put in 25 okay so he saw that reach for 25 and put it in Mm -hmm. uh and didn't he did obviously didn't need to announce raise because it was a raise but he didn't announce raise to clarify or anything so the villain who was very passive and tended to fold by the river post-flop calls and the other player calls who i described on the button so they were cut off button, respectively. Yeah, I mean, this seems like kind of a dream a dream squeeze spot. Yeah, it seemed like a dream squeeze spot to me because I feel like I can take it down a good amount. And also, a lot of times, when I do get called, it'll be by 
uh, the cutoff, who I'm very very happy to get into yeah. pots with, and also cutoff and button both have over a thousand behind. Okay, yeah. So normally, you know, like if when you're out of position, when the stacks are deeper, that f- further favors the the players in position. But you know, when you have such a strong read on someone after like a six hour session and you feel like you have a large skill edge then i think it waits uh you know the the deep stacks uh or something that are actually in your favor yeah and basically i just want to have enough behind that i can double barrel uh the cutoff if it goes if it isos uh or if he and i get heads up to the flop yeah and i miss i'm going to be double barreling a huge frequency yeah. uh and so I want to have enough behind that, you know, when we get to the flop with 300 in the pot, I can double barrel. Yeah. So, so here, here's just two things. One, if the, if the professional like player four bets, are, are we just comfortably folding here? I'm not concerned. Yeah. I, okay. I mean, I don't think it's, it's not quite good enough for me to be comfortable putting it into a five bet bluffing range. Yeah. And it wouldn't be a five bet all in also. So, oh, okay. So that, yeah. Because he and I, are about 2,500 deep, which is, I think, part of the reason he's been avoiding me. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, if he re-raises, I'm, I'm definitely folding. Okay, and what was I going to say? Yeah, I'd say the only reason you wouldn't squeeze here, because this seems like a dream squeeze spot, is just that you kind of have this like monkey-like image from your previous play, and even if you've been kind of tight over the last hour, I'm guessing that a lot of the players will still remember that. That being said, the it seems like the player that would most like remember that limped under the gun, and then that the other two players like aren't really going to properly exploit that, even if they think that you're squeezing too much. So it, it this, this is probably a squeeze, but just wanted to add that piece about image in there. Yeah, I think there are some players who I I wouldn't want to squeeze. Uh, if they had been the pre-flop raiser. But most of the players who have been at the table with me the longest are not in the hand. Uh, the, the button has been with me the whole time, but I think he felt really bad about the king's hand. So I kind of felt like he would be folding a little bit more just because he felt bad. Like he offered me like a taco. Uh, <laughs> Did you take the taco? Tacos were good there. No. Yeah, I didn't take the taco. I didn't, you know... I, I wasn't like mad at him at all. He just felt bad and offered me a taco, and I said, "Man, it's like it's totally fine. You don't need to give me your food." Okay, for, um, for what it's worth, just to the listeners, I would never decline one of those great MGM tacos, especially they run for like nine bucks a piece. So, you know, maybe next time you can mm, consider taking the taco. Okay, so I did squeeze. I squeezed 150. Seemed uh, like a good sizing. Yeah. The, <laughs> the under the gun was really pissed. Because he always was pissed when he had to fold. <laughs> uh, but he folded. Now, here's where it got really interesting. So, uh, the preflop raiser, who I, I actually did confirm after the hand, although I didn't know it at this point. He was he did know that he raised preflop. He took a while, and he actually said, like, he said something along the lines, like, are you just squeezing here? Which I kind of yelled at him after the hand because you you really should not say that like we're, yeah. we were not heads up so yeah. it was very rude of him bad poker etiquette uh and i i'm not i don't ever yell at like uh amateur players but against like 
another pro who's doing this, like I'm going to let them know that it's totally not cool. Yeah. yeah. So, but anyway, back to the hand. He did, he, so, so he said those comments and then he folded. Cutoff called pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And then the button tanked. So here, the tank actually, to me, has a lot of implications based on how he plays pre-flop. I think this is a player who knows that he has, you know, he's on the button and he has direct odds to call with any pair. He knows that based on how he's talked about the game. And considering how Lucy is preflop, I think he's one. He's de- he would definitely have uh, three bet any premiums preflop. So I think he must be deciding to call or fold some really sort of stupid hand. In my opinion, I just don't think he ever has a pair here when he tanks. Uh, yeah, I also think that the first player, given that they called pretty quickly, would you say their range is like? fairly heavily weighted towards pairs no no okay <laughs> that's <laughs> I awesome think once good <laughs> that player put 25 dollars in the pot they're just likely to put the next hundred dollars in the pot 125 but yeah yeah right um uh, hmm. okay so okay so so when the player on the button like i guess when they tank like that also kind of takes away maybe like the better suited connectors you know like i don't think anyone was is going to tank with jack 10 suited even if you know, it's not necessarily a good call. Yeah. So I I don't know exactly what his range looks like, but I can I'm taking away anything that looks like, you know, a clear implied odds call on the button from a player who really likes to see flops. Yeah. So maybe we're talking like suited. We probably he probably doesn't even have many suited aces in his range. It's probably like worse suited connectors, suited one gappers, king x suited. I don't know. Man, I've in at those MGM games, people just played a lot looser than I'm used to playing, especially, you know, against someone like I'm I'm sure you've experienced this before, but like I got a guy to like, you know, limp king six suited and then I like three bet a, a professional um in the big blind and he just like insta called my three bet in position. <laughs> Yeah, and that wasn't like you know one of the craziest preflop things that happened over those few days. So, like, yeah, this button's range is really, really wide, and yeah, and very kept. Yes, uh, in terms of you know how strong of a hand he could have. Mm-hmm. So, I didn't have a whole lot of time to think about you know his range once he called before the flop came, and it was my turn to act. Uh, but I had already basically rolled out any pairs while he was tanking. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the flop was very interesting for my hand. The flop was eight five three rainbow. Ah. So hmm. I didn't want to take too long, but we can take a while in this format. Yeah. So here I'll give you my thoughts, or I'll give you sort of my quick thoughts that I I was willing to sort of take time to think about in the moment. Yeah. Cool. Uh, my thoughts were, I have a hand that I would often choose to check call I don't feel like I can profitably bluff catch I definitely don't feel like I the reason I'm calling is because you know I want to sometimes bluff catch with this hand or the reason I would be checking is because I don't think it's strong enough to value bet so I would rather bluff catch given the fact that we're in a three-way pot it's going to be really hard to profitably bluff catch yeah well can you remind me a little bit about the the cutoff and the button uh, just in terms of 
Like I, the the guy who you saw bluffing for larger sizings, that was the under the gun player that folded, right? The guy who's bluffing for a larger sizing. Say like, that again. Like the guy who had who had kings. Oh like, no, that's the button. That's that, the button. Oh, that's the button. Okay, yeah. so yeah, it doesn't sound like you can. And then, did you have you seen the? You haven't really seen the cutoff bluffing, right? Just kind of playing very passively. No, I actually no, I have seen him bluff. Oh, I've seen him bluff like sort of a reasonable drawing hand. Okay, so hmm, yeah, it's it sounds like you can't properly bluff catch out of position with his hand. I'm not I'm not positive about that to be honest with you. That was just my thought in the moment. Is that like uh we've got about 450 or I guess uh you know 475 yeah in the pot about 850 in the stacks. And so it's just not a spot where I'm very excited to like turn my hand into a bluff catcher out of position in a three-way pot. Well, I, I but guess I think that it's. Uh-huh. I still think that might be the best play. Yeah, I'm just. I'm just trying to think. Like, it, even if both of these villains are bluffing more than the average, like, middle-aged guys at a two-five game, I'm not. I'm not sure with the information you have, you can check all two streets with this hand. You know. No, I think definitely not. I think I'm definitely when I check this hand, I'm sort of hoping that it checks through and I somehow win. Yeah. Hmm. Well, let's just think a little bit about the different ranges, you know? I think it seems like the cutoff with the button behind is rarely going to bluff when check two with kind of just like a 9-10 suited type hand. Yeah, I think think if they're bluffing, it's maybe like 6-7 suited exactly. uh, And then, you know, the occasional like turning a smaller pair into a bluff slash protection. You know, yeah. I, so, for the cutoff, uh, I think when he calls, I'm not sure that he would be semi bluffing six seven in this spot, just because I've shown a lot of strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this player, I think, will think, you know, will give me the most credit of any of the players uh, left in the hand. I mean, there's only two players left in the hand, but I think the cutoff is going to give me a lot more credit for a strong hand than the button. Okay. So yeah, if they're not even bluffing like their few bluff combos, okay. So now so now we move on to the button. Well, okay. so my uh-huh. thought my thoughts in the moment about the cutoff were that basically any like one pair hand he has here I feel pretty good about getting him to fold. You know, if if oh, I wow. bet okay. if I bet 250 here or 300, I think is the sizing I I did bet. So if I bet 300 here and then shove 550 on the river, or sorry, on the turn against the cutoff, I think he's going to fold hands like 7, 8, ace, 8. You know, I just have a lot of overpairs in his mind. Yeah. And I do. I mean, I'm, I'm going to have all overpairs here. What about like, so you don't mean on the flop? You mean like by the turn? You'll get him to fold. No, I think pairs. if I if we are heads up on the turn after he calls a bet, I feel very good about a turn shove. I see. Okay, that that makes a lot more sense to me. Okay, well then that's that's like a really profitable spot for you, like you were saying before, someone who you know puts in a lot of money passively and then kind of folds without a really strong hand. So that's good against that player. So now it's it's really about the button. Um, so my. Th- I'll tell you my thought for betting. 
yeah. against the button. Mm-hmm. My thought was that if he called, then I would probably have to shut down. Uh huh. Because, you know, if he if he calls my flatbed with what seems like a really bad range, like he decides to call me with an eight or a five, like I just don't see this as the player who's gonna like have made this read to call me with a really bad range preflop and then call my flop at with like a one pair hand. Cause he doesn't other than maybe eight, five suited, which I'm blocking. Uh, I don't think he could have any hand that's better than one pair here. Uh huh. He has no sets. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No over pairs. I think, I think that that's an important, an important thing to keep in mind. Yeah. So, so I, don't I, just, I, just like... keep, I just keep going back and forth in terms of checking and betting. We'll yeah. About this. So I guess the question is to me that like the, the, the most important question is like, what is this guy's bluffing frequency like when check two on the button? Or what types of hands is he turning into a bluff? I don't know. I could see him betting a lot. Because uh, I, could, I could see him betting like, you know, sort of probably any pair based on like the king's hand. Yeah, and I guess also a, a nice benefit of like checking to the button and then the button betting a new calling is that like I could see the cutoff folding like a an eight there, you know, where uh, where if you if you bet out, I don't think they're folding an eight, but I think if if the like the thing it, is, mm-hmm. I'm not sure the cutoff would check an eight. I see. So, so if I check and the cutoff bets, you're folding. I think I'm out of there. So I still think the cutoff could have hands like. Nines, tens. Yeah, of uh, course. Hmm. Okay, so... Hmm. From what you're saying, it sounds like both lines are profitable. You know? uh, yeah, I mean... So here's basically what the decision came down to for me. Mm-hmm. One was that I didn't want to take too long. I think tanking here looks strange because I think... My range, my perceived range is more like ace, king, ace, queen, uh, you know, jacks plus to the cutoff. Uh-huh. And I think he would expect me to, to bet all of those. Uh, and if I tank, I think that's, that starts to look weird. So I pretty much knew what betting would mean. I knew that I would be double barreling the cutoff. I knew I'd be giving up against the button. Uh, and so I just decided to bet. Because I didn't know exactly what I would do if I checked in this spot. Yeah. Well, uh, but b- before we move on, I, I, I do want to really fully consider checking, though. So... Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I could definitely understand in the moment betting, especially, like... It sounds like you can pretty profitably, whatever, double barrel the cutoff and bet shut down against the button. I, I think we've established that. The question is... Is it more profitable to to bluff catch the button's very wide and very weak and capped range? Also, a benefit to checking is that if this if the player has if the cutoff has an eight or like a pair of nines or a pair of tens, then you can check fold and not lose you know an extra three hundred bucks. Um, yeah. So I'm without being there, I'm gonna probably agree with you that betting is a little bit better just because, like, when in doubt about someone's bluffing frequencies. And again, you said you've seen the button bluff. This player played crazy with kings. But people play so honestly in three-bet pots generally, you know? So I I think we could make an assumption that, like, 
the button is going to have a lot of air here, and he's probably not going to be bluffing most of that air. And I think with that in mind, uh, it becomes more profitable to to bet double barrel the cutoff and you know bet shut down against the button. Yeah, and the other thing about bluff catching the button is like when we do check call the button, then what does he do on the turn, and are are we going to be able to respond to that correctly? I think it. I still think checking might be best, but it's just very it's very hard and very dicey against like this particular range that's kind of wacky. Anyways, I did bet. Uh, it's been a while, and I, I didn't I didn't write down the hand because it was very memorable. But I either bet. I almost, I'm almost sure I would bet 300 here. I actually I think based on based on what happened later, I bet 250. Uh, okay. Um. I just want to. Which uh-huh. I actually think it's a it's a reasonable sizing, uh, given this flop. Now that I think about it a little bit more, I I uh, also think given like yeah like I think two fifty is going to fold out all like potential floats and overcard hands. Like you don't want to bet a small enough sizing that like these players might call with a hand that that you're beating that they wouldn't be able to bluff you out of the pot later with. And 250 is also good in that, like, it sets up a bigger double barrel against the cutoff. Yeah, and I think that was my thought at the time. Uh, or I hope it was. <laughs> but, yeah, I think 250 in a, in a three-way pot, a three-bet pot on this particular flop makes a lot of sense. So the cutoff folds, and the button doesn't take too much time, but it's not instantaneous, and ships for you know 850 so it's 600 for me to call oh hmm. an option and we didn't consider <laughs> I actually did consider it okay. I, did, I just didn't tell you about it uh, hmm. so I'll tell you when I considered it <laughs> <laughs> I considered it after I bet but before he shipped and my thought was like if he shoves I think I have to call <laughs> yeah I mean it, it seems like given given the range that you assigned him like I guess occasionally he could be just like hitting an eight, deciding it's good. But I think he could also maybe be hitting a five or a three and deciding like it might be good. And then he could also have weird bluffs. And I mean, your read before this hand was that like when he bluffs, he like uses like larger sizings. So I think given all yeah. of that, like this is a pretty clear call. And even if the cutoff is like ahead of both of you, like I think if the cutoff has a pair of nines or a pair of tens and this happens. Like, they might fold. No, 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 that's right. The cutoff folded. Cutoff folded before. Oh, okay. Well, then, then yeah, I think this is a pretty pretty clear call. I felt so, <laughs> too. I didn't take... I, and I didn't take very long. I probably took about four or five seconds. Okay. Uh, just but, to sort of do pot odds and be like, okay, like, even if I'm wrong, I still have, like, 22% or something, and I'm getting uh, 1,500 to 600. So... I'm not too far behind if I'm wrong. <laughs> he had top side? And, uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. He had jack eight offsuit. Yeah. Which uh-huh. is, for what it's worth, an awful shove. Just awful. Because, <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't think it was impossible for him to do this based on the king's hand. Yeah. Uh, or else I would have insta-called because he... The reason I decided to call right away is because I figured there's no hand he could have that he should want to shove. 
given that he never has a pair. And he basically never has two pair. What do you mean never has a pair? When, I, when, he, when he never has a pair preflop, he doesn't have any of the sets. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, he doesn't have any over pairs. Mm-hmm. So there's just not much... There's nothing he could have other than 8-5 suited, which I block. There's, so there's only, I think, one combo. Yeah, if it was a rainbow that, flop, so... Yeah, so one or two combos, so we'll call it one and a half combos, of like true value-shoving hands. So... Well, I mean, okay, it's definitely clear this is an awful shove by him. Right. But that so, that that being said, like, I think this, you know, it's to be expected that this type of player, like, when they hit any pair, whether it's like a 3-5 or an 8, there's, I think, a non, like a decent percent they might just, like, shove. Yeah, so the fact that this guy had jack-8 offsuit, it doesn't make me think that he wouldn't necessarily do this with 5-6 offsuit, or 5-6 suited. Either one doesn't matter. Or I mean, if and if they have jack eight offsuit, like you know, I don't think you're taking a three four suit from their range. You know, no, definitely not. And the other thing is that from the king's hand, it might seem like a hand like jack eight offsuit is likely in the spot. But I had seen him do this kind of huge overbet in like a big pot with total air that he showed. Yeah. No. I mean, like, like we were saying before, like this is like the very top of his range here. So, yeah, I think I think this is a pretty standard call against this player. Um, yeah. And it's awesome that you have, like, position on him. <laughs> well, it is awesome I have position on him, except for that I binked a five on the turn and he left. <laughs> well, that's awesome, too. <laughs> yeah, that was even better, I think. Yeah. Uh, what, and, I think man, the table went... I think it was Tommy Angelo who said, like, there's nothing better in Hold'em than coming from behind and winning, sucking out, right? <laughs> yeah, especially, like, I, I felt in the moment like I had made a great call, like, regardless of what he had. Yeah. Like, I was very happy with, like, my play. I, I think the flop decision is very difficult, potentially marginal, potentially not. I feel like it's... No, yeah. I mean, It's I, just, it's not a situation that comes up very often, uh, because there's not very many eight high flops, it's not very often where you, you know, raise a hand like Ace Five suited, squeeze, get two colors, and end up with middle pair out of position against like the ranges that you're up against here. It just, exactly, it's yeah. not a, it's not a situation I can prepare for. And that's, uh, I think that's like that shows the value of you know be able to do these range analyses uh, on the fly because. Like, if, if you're just learning these kind of preset situations, you're going to be completely lost here. And I think there's a lot of professionals that in this spot, you know, would make some big mistakes, even if most of the time they are playing very well. Yeah, and it's it's definitely possible that in this spot, this player is never doing this without an eight in his hand. Uh, but it's, I think given the evidence I, I, I had, I don't, I don't, I don't it's impossible. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't think so either. Uh, and it's also not a possibility I'm really willing to give very much weight to given what i've seen yeah uh, i'm gonna be you know i'm gonna be doing the podcast breakdown for this week and of which i'm very glad <laughs> and i'm i'm sure that like even even if i only give him like a few combos of air and a few combos of five and like a five and a three like the, the threshold given the pot odds you have for like making this a correct call i think is is just very feasible even if like he has a ton of eights here, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think the reaction... The, sorry, yeah. Oh, go ahead, because I'm going to kind of move 
move away from. Yeah, I just, I, just, I just wanted to say like I think really the most interesting street in this hand is the is the flop. You know. Oh, and, absolutely. Yeah, and and there's definitely. I, I you know I'm sure there's other hands like this and that our listeners can relate to where it's like you've just really never been in this type of spot and you have to kind of figure out what to do and being out of position and not wanting to take too long and you know have people make certain assumptions about your range like definitely makes it tough to to you know think through everything and you kind of just have to go with your best uh, approximation and I think you know lucky for you we kind of agreed that analyzing in depth after the fact like betting betting was best and I think I think I should have you know you didn't mention it on purpose but I kind of I'm kind of mad at myself for not thinking about the possibility of the button chipping it just because I think that adds a lot more value to betting, you know, especially a sizing like 215 to 450. Like, I think if you bet like 400 or something, um, even if this player has like a pair of fives or a pair of threes, it makes them shipping it become a lot less likely. But if they think like, okay, you either have it or you don't, and I have a pair and I'm going to ship, I think that attitude can happen a lot more when you bet 250. And then I also think you keep a lot more uh, like really air you know, air balls in their range when they, when they ship. So I think 250 was a, was a really good, really good sizing. Thanks. So after the hand, uh, <laughs> the table just like blew up <laughs> the, so the, the player in the hand just left right away. And a couple of the guys at the table just like started absolutely berating me. It's calling it the worst call they've ever seen, which is totally ridiculous because I mean, I almost had enough equity to call. Uh, obviously, if I had seen his cards, I would have folded. But yeah, the I was thankful. I first they berated me, then I berated the pro, then the pro defended me, <laughs> then the pro left the table, <laughs> <laughs> and I just had yeah, I just I had a lot of uh, a big chip edge on the table, and this one guy in particular who just really thought I was a monkey stayed with me for like the next. Eight hours. Wait, you know, next I think eight, probably, the next eight hours? You were there for like 15 hours? Uh, no, I was there for 13 hours. Oh, so wow. I guess seven okay. hours. It was wow. It was just uh, logistically it made sense for me to yeah, we talked about have this. a very long session. Wow. Uh, so that's uh, that was great. Then you had all these. Yeah. It's rare that, you know, when you're going on a poker trip like this, you have such strong reads on a given player, on given players at your tables, and that, you know, you're able to cultivate an image that will probably make people make a ton of mistakes and bad adjustments against you. So good for you. Yeah. And it was, it was funny. Like I just ran really cold for the rest of the, for the next seven hours. I oh, barely you had told any me. Hands yeah. It's like, couldn't just like bad pre, not even like playable hands pre. Right. And I think the, it was funny. Like this one drunk guy was like complimenting me on like how I like, was able to lock up my stack. <laughs> and I was just like, dude, I, if I want to lock up my snack, I wouldn't be sitting here. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, yeah. And the guy who was, you know, waiting with me to get involved in a pot with me, uh, I was also excited to get involved in a pot with him. And unfortunately, it didn't happen, I think, to both artists, me. Uh, yeah. But we had some nice banter throughout the night. I actually, he, he was just letting me have it again after I called... Uh, like a turn raise that I was basically priced into with a set uh, where a guy had a two card straight. Uh, 
like a five six nine board where I had a set of sixes and a guy had seven eight and kind of slow played it and priced me in to draw for a full house or I also thought I was very likely ahead. Yeah, and he just let me have it again. Uh, I yeah, I hit a boat. Uh, <laughs> it was a good day. It was a good day. Yeah. Okay. Well, the just hands poker way. You know, get it in bad, justify your play later on the podcast, and bink. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that was a yeah. Always nice when when you can justify your play uh, after bink, and not justify your play after oh you caught behind and and missed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, cool. Um, thank you for sharing that interesting hand, and I hope that we both get to go back to, you know, the MGM sometime soon. Me too. Me too. <laughs> Thanks, man.